IoT Unplugged. Tune in to the Internet of Things. Hi, this is Christian McCann, editor of IoT Insider, and welcome to our podcast, IoT Unplugged, where each episode we'll be examining and discussing some of the most interesting and pressing issues surrounding IoT today. IoT's expansion has been rapid, from its humble origins being used for things like telling the stock level of a soda machine, to now being the driving force of smart cities. IoT is slowly becoming everywhere, and Satista say there are over 15 billion IoT devices currently across the world. Yet, legislation surrounding security has been lax, only now recently seeming to catch up through things like the UK's PSTI bill, or the EU's Cyber Resilience Act. But what do these various pieces of legislation aim to address around IoT? Why now? And what should you look out for? To discuss this, I'm joined by Jason Blake, IoT Security Certification Manager at IASME Consortium. Uh, Jason, thanks for joining us today. Uh, If you could just start by introducing uh, yourself, the consortium, and uh, also what it is that you do. So it's great to join you today, Christian. I'm really pleased to to be on the podcast to to discuss the, um, the IoT legislation and obviously any other things that come up during this conversation. Um, so about a bit about myself, I've only worked in within the IoT field since January of this year. Um, previous to that, I worked as an information security manager and um, left IT for a five and a half year period to go and pursue my career dream of being a prison officer. Um, did that job for five and a bit years. October last year, left the prison service and moved into IT and January took this role within, um, within IASME. Um, really enjoy it. CIOT is a very quickly and developing field. There is so much change and so much um, innovation within the field. It is just an exciting place to work. Um, IASME are best known, I think, for being the official partner for the National Cyber Security Centre on the delivery of the Cyber Essentials Programme, which is owned by the NCSC. And as part of, of that um, IASME have developed other schemes that, that IASME own to sort of try and complement the, the cybersecurity posture of many businesses in different ways. So, for example, there is the IASME Cyber Assurance Program, which is an information security management system. There is the Maritime Cyber Baseline, which is for the maritime industry to improve its cybersecurity and for vessels. There is the um, CAA and Gubashore programs. The CAA Shore is a, a part, you know, we partner with the Civil Aviation Authority on, um, and that's that's one of the other schemes we run. Um, and then there is my IoT program, and the IoT security scheme is rather than like with Cyber Essentials, for example, that certifies a whole business, or Maritime, which certifies a specific ship. The IoT scheme spe- specifically s- certifies. Uh, individual devices against the legislation and ensures that devices that have the certification are compliant with UK legislation. Um, And also we are partnered with Secured by Design, the Police Crime Prevention Initiative, to provide a prerequisite for their certification and their accreditation that our certification, um, our IoT Cyber Assurance, is a prerequisite of achieving the Secured by Design accreditation now um 
and the yeah the IoT program it's we're seeing a lot more traction within the IoT world because of incoming legislation like you mentioned Christian there is a lot of IoT legislation popping up around the world and ours is a statement of compliance with the UK legislation so if a business wants to ensure that they're compliant with this UK legislation that's where our certification comes in and they can achieve that and use that as to say actually we are compliant with this with this legislation Okay, well, that's a good point for us to jump off. You talk about the UK legislation and the UK legislation is like the uh, PSTI bill. And I was wondering, what can you tell me about this? So the PSTI bill originally was two pieces of legislation that were sort of super glued together, which is in the, almost in the name, the product security and telecommunications infrastructure. They were two very separate things. The first bit is the only bit that applies to IT is the product security. The product security relevant legislation was brought in by the government because they feel that there are a lot of IoT devices and smart connected products for sale within the UK market and there was no regulation on to the how these devices were configured no no sort of guidance as to how um, consumers were viewed by these manufacturers and also as one of the technical controls is around support periods and I think that's a really key one because the government have said, actually, you need to be very, to the manufacturers, you need to be very clear and upfront about how long these devices will be supported for. Because it's all well and good going to, going to Amazon, for example, and buying a smart toaster to, um, you know, find out that actually the smart function might only be might only be supported with a software update for six months. And then it's it's useless or it's a security risk on your network, which in a home presents a smaller risk but you know if it's in a if it's in a if it's in a business network then you know the, the, the risks are there so I think the government have stepped in to sort of give a, a guide as to what these devices should look like and how they should be configured. You, you know I can really uh, uh, sympathize with that I brought a smart coffee machine and it's uh, no longer supported so if only I would have brought it after the introduction of this eh it'd still be that, working. Exactly. And um, so with that being said <laughs> oh sorry no, no, go on, Christian, that's fine. Oh, well, I was just going to say, so, you know, I obviously um, see the <clears throat> rationale behind this. Was there like a tipping point for this introduction of the bill? Was it like the proliferation of smart devices? They started to feel like, you know, this is getting so big, it now is calling for it. I, I think that's, I think that's exactly right, Christian. I think that the rationale was within, with the, within government that actually when you look at the numbers of IoT devices that... Currently, it works out that if, if in a smart home, if in a, in a home you have around 10.9 smart devices, that number jumps to around 15.5 devices if you've got children, um, because, you know, children always want the latest technologies and the latest things. When I was younger, a Sega Mega Drive was the latest piece of technology. Now it's, you know, they want uh, a smart, a smart, a smart speaker in their bedroom or a, a smartphone, for example. So I think that the number of smart devices has grown rapidly um, and the estimated number is that by 2030, there'll be around 75 billion connected devices around the world. And I think that's where the government have thought with this many devices, there needs to be some level of control and level of guidance for manufacturers to be brought in. So that for me was the rationale. and I think you were spot on with that. Okay, well, interesting. Obviously, it's not just UK legislation, you know, the EU Cyber Resilience Act, we're seeing uh, the US Cyber Trust Mark, 
you're saying the proliferation of devices is maybe, uh, you know, it's a, a big reason why we're starting to see uh, legislation around the world coalesce. But is there maybe another thing? Is there like, was there a lot of IT devices that lacked good security? Is that another thing that prompted this? Um, again, excellent point, Christian. One of the um, sort of longest standing jokes within the IoT field is that the S in IoT stands for security. Um, obviously, it's not there. And because a lot of people's sort of opinion with IoT and smart <laughs> devices was that there was very little security there. Um, and, you know, like you say, there's the, the PSTI bill in the UK, which is a world leading piece of legislation. We're one of the first countries to actually implement that into law. Um, there is then the Cyber Resilience Act in the, in the European Union. There'll be the US Cyber Trust Mark in the US. Other countries such as Singapore, um, Saudi Arabia, Brazil are all looking at their own pieces of legislation to look at how they can protect their their consumers um, with with by looking at what legislation they can bring in with IoT devices. Um, I think that again the the, num the sheer volume of of devices around the world and. We all are guilty of wanting easier lives and smart devices give you that. You know, for example, 30 years ago, who would have thought that from your phone, from a from a, a mobile telephone, you could, whilst out in the shop, pay for your shopping, look at the CCTV at home to see what see who's knocked who's knocked on the door, and then have a conversation with that person via a doorbell. You know, the, these pieces of technology are advancing so quickly that in the next 30 years, who knows where we'll be. But what I can say, how I feel, is that IoT will, be a, will play a key role in that because we all want our lives to be more convenient and easier. And I think IoT enables that. Oh, indeed, indeed. Um, but looking at these uh, legislations, obviously, for instance, the US Cyber Trust Mark is a, is a voluntary scheme. And, you know, so I was just wondering, is there... What are like maybe some similarities in in what these uh, what these legislations are trying to do, and maybe where what are the differences? So for me, I think all of the governments are in the right area. They're trying to do the right thing to try to protect consumer data. They're trying to protect um, against devices, you know, perhaps being rogue devices or being hacked and causing um, causing issues for people and the purchases of these devices. Um, like you say, the US Cyber Trust Mark is voluntary. And like within the UK, the PSTI bill, yes, it will be law. And in the enforcement date is the 29th of April 2024. The government have given that, that 12 month grace period to, to be compliant with legislation. But there is no, like, for example, the US are looking whether to mandate a, a, specific, uh, a specific mark on products, whereas there is nothing like that within the UK. That's one of the reasons that our certification. Uh, exists because it is an option for businesses to say rather than hire a head of compliance who needs to make sure to be aware of the changes within these standards or changes within the legislation you know this certification could be could be much easier um, and much more cost effective to ensure that actually the we the products that we are selling are are in line with uk law because we are constantly in conversation with etsy who um their standard is the sort of one of the most well respected within the world of iot it's called the etsy en303645 it makes 13 recommendations for iot devices and the, the top three recommendations are what was um, taken by the government and, in, and wrapped up in the psti bill um, but i think what the all of the legislations are trying to achieve 
is they're trying to achieve a safer world for consumers and a safer world for when we buy a smart connected product, mm. we can be confident that the data that that's transmitting and that it's sending to us or that we're, we're using that device to submit data, that that data, one, is secure, two, we know where it goes and where it's kept, but also that the devices are of a quality that they will continue to be supported, that consumers can buy in confidence knowing that, like you said, Christian, your, your smart coffee maker after six months, 12 months isn't going to be unsupported and therefore a, a potential problem for people. Okay. Well, excellent. Well, you talked about, like we said, about the smart coffee machine. I'm glad I brought that up. I'm glad I had a real world example. Uh, maybe I was wondering if you could give some examples of like, for instance, bad practice, good practice and best practice uh, by companies affected by the uh, PSDI legislation. So one of the things I do in my role regularly is speak to companies um, and sort of speak to them about the legislation and make, make sure people are aware of it. Even um, even people within the IoT field are still yet to be aware of the PSTI legislation or within the manufacturing industry, for example, the, the awareness is, is quite limited. Uh, I was at an IoT event only only two weeks ago. I gave a, a, had a speaking slot there and I was talking to them about the uh, technical controls within the PSTI bill. Um, and actually, I asked the 75 people in the room who had heard of PSTI and there were only five hands that went up. So it wasn't, uh, it's not a widely known piece of legislation yet, but it, it will need to be because like there, there are enforcement measures. There will be an enforcement division to set up to, inf to ensure enforcement of this legislation. And that's what one of the things we see moving forward and we're looking at when we when I talk to, to, to clients that we do have examples of bad practice. Um, I spoke to a company last month that produces um, a CCTV system. They set up the client, whenever they deploy that to a site for a business, they set up the client to be able to log in remotely to view that CCTV. Um, and the, the password, the, uh, the username and password is the, the the business name for where it's been deployed and the password will be one two three four five six now i don't know about anybody that's listening but in 2023 it is for me at least it's not a revolutionary idea that we don't use default passwords or easily brute forcible passwords such as one two three four five six default password admin these sort of words and, and number cook these sort of numbers and not the sort of things we should be using as password. We should be using ways to generate secure passwords and also passwords that can't be easily replicated or that are, are random, that, are, that aren't, you know, that, that, that couldn't be brute forced by an attack, for example. Um, some of the good practice we see, absolutely, there's so many companies out there that, that do have good practices, that do have ways of, of, of looking at things and saying, right, actually, this is what we need to do. Um, and this is this is the technical controls that are there, and these are this is how we meet them. If um, they they come to us and say, right, we're not sure how we meet these, but obviously we want um, we want to show compliance with legislation. We work with um, several different certification bodies and consultants and assessors that can rec can make recommendations to people on good practice and then best practice to businesses. And one of the things we have seen is within a company. We within the certification, we insist to meet the legislation that you must have a vulnerability disclosure policy. Um, we came a, a business came to us wanting the certification and said, actually, 
we don't have a vulnerability disclosure policy. We don't actually know what would need to be in that. So we worked with one of our consultants and put together a free template of a vulnerability disclosure policy, which we make available on our website to download for free because it's not just about making sure that a business passes the certification. It's about ensuring that actually the security posture of businesses within the industry improves so that actually consumers as a whole benefit to make sure that the industry moves to a more secure footing. Um, and some businesses, you know, the, the good practice and best practice is out there. There are some of our businesses that have done our certification that have changed the entire security posture of their business based on the recommendations of some of our consultants because and some of the assessors that we work with because they recognize the value in having a more secure product and a more secure business. Okay. Well, <clears throat> going back to the uh, PSTI, um, you mentioned that there was um, loads of, there was a number of points that they recommended these were really good for um, any legislation. You mentioned the PSTI took the top three of them. So you were happy with that. But I was wondering, has it, um, is there anything that maybe isn't in the legislation that you think would demand greater examining? Um, so the Etsy standard, which is what the PSTI has taken the recommendations from, the Etsy standard has 13 um, recommendations. The top three, which are the technical controls within the PSTI legislation, are um, around access control, around vulnerability management, and around software support. The one for me, there is another point that I think could have been integrated quite easily into the PSTI legislation, which is around resilience of these devices. So I think that the other point around resilience should have been that, for example, if there is a power outage, some devices need to maintain a certain level of function during that power outage or network outage. A smart lock, for example, it's great that it's a smart lock, but actually when there's a power and network outage, that smart lock needs to still function as a lock and it still needs to make sure that people are not locked in or out of their properties. So that for me is something that I think that the government could have looked at as, a, as an extra step to say, well, if your device falls into X category, this is another part that we need to comply with. And I also think that moving forward that, the rest of those technical controls are there for the, for the government's disposal that should they want to increase the security of these IoT devices, they would naturally look at the other 10 standards, the other 10 points within the standard to say, you know, what, what are the next couple of points that we could, we could introduce into the PSTI legislation to actually ensure further compliance and to ensure further security um, and look at greater legislation legislative drivers for that okay well um looking at the difference in um legislation just going back to the u.s cyber trust mark and um, that's like a voluntary labeling scheme but um i was wondering what is your opinion on this a scheme for iot devices for instance to be voluntary so, so you know where can the onus is on consumers to make the decision versus manufacturers to ensure that the devices are up to a certain standard? Um, so for me, I think that, you know, the government does mandate in certain ways, certain sort of certifications or certain things that put an onus on the manufacturer. Um, and I think that the US Trust and Trust Mark it is a voluntary scheme and it is there so that cons I think consumers need to be made aware that actually this is a, this is a sign of quality. This is a, if this, if a device has this 
mark on it that actually it is of a, a, a technical standard that it, that it means that it's more secure. Um, for me, the, the issue is when you make something like that voluntary and then there'll be cost involved to manufacturers to get to that standard or to ensure that those products are secure, I think that that's where things fall down because most businesses are run on cost. And if there is an extra cost, if there's an extra burden placed on the manufacturer that they look at as voluntary to get those devices to be more secure, actually, what's what's the incentive there for them to, to go ahead and to actually progress with that? Whereas I think if it was a, if it was mandated that the legislation and the, 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 the law is that is the law, then it, it does like like say with PSTI that does create a manufacturing industry that goes right. Okay, we do need to pay attention to this because there is an enforcement division set up solely to to, to survey this to make sure that people are compliant. And that for me is the difference of if we're gonna do, if you're gonna do it voluntary, that's fine. But obviously, I would expect compliance will be a lot less with a voluntary scheme than something like PSCI that's mandated, that's mandated under this law. Indeed, and perhaps the average consumer's knowledge of IoT and sort of the security devices um, might make them less than informed to be able to understand the uh, intricacies of why maybe some of these things are important. There was a recent study that showed that a lot of people couldn't really name smart devices. Yeah, I think that's the, um, that's the, the thing, isn't it, with... With smart devices, people. I, I mean, IoT. I always, I always make this joke, but IoT sounds suspiciously like it was made up on the spot by somebody. Oh, it was the Internet of Things, but um, most people don't recognise it as IoT. They most people recognise it as a smart device, or you know, and, and it's like people say, you know, oh, you know, Alexa, for example, is not secure because of the data that it transmits and it's always recording, etc. Well, okay, but how many of Amazon sold? And that's the thing is that the consumers, I think, they see a device that they, they think, actually, that's that's good. That's what I want. Um, and the, the, the security concerns and the security of that device are lower down on the priority list. You know, things like how much does it cost? You, want, you know, that's one of the things that people always want. People always want to know how much does it cost? What can it do? And I think when you look at if you filter Amazon, for example, as a website by product, you can search by price, high to low. You can search by recommendations. There's nothing there that says you can search by security and to make sure that the devices you're actually purchasing are secure. And that's why I think the legislation is so key to make sure that consumers are protected because most people aren't aware, don't think about it, and actually would only think about it in a situation where there was a problem. And I think that is something that, as we as we rely more and more on smart devices that will become a bigger and bigger problem. Indeed. Well, uh, finally, um, maybe I'd just like to talk about uh, your certification and its benefits against its benefits with the um, legislation. How is it going to improve the security of these devices? You talked about default number par- uh, number passwords being a thing, but is there anything else that is really key you would like to mention? Yeah. So our certification is um, two stages. It is a level one, which is a verified assessment. You have access to an online portal. You put the information into that about your device, about um, to answer the to points around the legislation, such as um, the, the, the default passwords, around vulnerability disclosure policies, and around support periods. That's then reviewed by an independent assessor, 
um, of which we work with several, you know, we work with several certification bodies and several assessors. So that was reviewed by an assessor. And then should that not comply with the, with the standard um, that is required to meet certification, that assessor can give expert advice and feedback to a business as to how to improve the security of that device, what they need to do further before they can achieve certification. Um, and then what we see is that, you know, the business goes away, they look at the advice and the feedback that's been given, they make some changes to their devices, or they make some changes to the policy that's involved, or, for example, where, where that vulnerability disclosure policy is displayed. Is it displayed in a nice, easy, easy place to find on the company website, or is it tucked away somewhere that actually it's not publicised? So actually, part of the PSTL legislation is that need that vulnerability disclosure policy needs to be public, publicly accessible. So then at the end of the level one process, if they've achieved the, the correct standard, we issue a certification and that's a pass. Um, and then they, if they want, they can move on to the level two, which is a hands-on audit of that device and that product. Does it do everything that it says that it can do? So that it's set up as a the assessor would act as a normal consumer to make sure that actually that device does everything that the manufacturer is claiming. And also then look at the device um, and the policies around it. So for example, what is the policy around making sure there's no default passwords? How is that password generated, for example? One of the other ones is around how that data, how that device collects data, how is that data stored and how is that data transmitted to people? Is that, is that secure? Um, and then again, I'm looking at the policies maybe around the, uh, the support periods and how, how a business is going to support, um, support that device for X amount of time and defining that period of time so that, again, consumers can make an informed decision. Our certification is aimed at small and medium enterprise, but obviously it, we will certify any IoT device or platform. Um, it is what we, we, we like to think it's an affordable certification. It's £500 for the level one and £2,000 for the level two. So it's £2,500 in total to do both levels. And what we find with that is actually it does generally improve the security of the device because the assessors are trained and experts at looking at how these devices work and then how they could actually improve the security. So we often find that there's recommendations made by assessors to businesses as to how they can improve. For example, on the vulnerability disclosure policy, again, some businesses, their policy isn't great, but that's just not just the same on vulnerability disclosure. You find that across the board with lots of different policies. So the assessor can make recommendations to that vulnerability disclosure policy and say, actually, how about this? Or have you thought about this? And it's, it's that sort of, it's bringing that expertise to businesses you know, one of the things we, we regularly talk about is the fact 99% of UK businesses are small or medium in size. And there needs to be a, an accessible scheme for people who are wanting to sell these devices who need to comply with this legislation, but actually don't know where to start. And that's where our certification was born out of to give that help to businesses and to help to entrepreneurs and manufacturers to say you don't need a expensive policy pack put together that you constantly have to update and you constantly have to keep looking at the standards and the legislation to make sure you're constantly up to date it's actually more cost effective to have a certification that you renew once a year to say actually we are compliant with this legislation 
yeah so if, if that's good on your end i think that's that was a a really uh fascinating podcast so i just want to say it's uh i think it's a good place to end it jason uh thank you for taking the time to speak to us no not a problem always happy to uh to speak to yourself uh, an iot insider obviously i have written some articles for you previously um, and always happy to contribute moving forward um the only other thing i'd like to bring to the attention of anyone listening is IASME are actually running a webinar with a panel of experts from the IoT field um, in October, on October the 3rd. Um, it's an IoT legislation webinar. It's a guide for businesses, how we can help um, businesses and manufacturers of IoT devices, what help is out there. The, uh, the speakers, we're going to look at um, the legal landscape around IoT, a bit like we have here, Christian. Um, we also want to help to help manufacturers ensure compliance with the legislation. So we're going to cover as much of it as we possibly can. Um, it's being hosted by Sakama Limited, who are a cybersecurity company, who are one of our certification bodies. So a big thank you to them for hosting us on the 3rd of October. But that panel discussion will involve myself as the host um, and then some key names within the IoT industry, such as John Moore, founder of the IoT Security Foundation, um, David Rogers, MBA, uh, the CEO at Copper Horse, who helped the government with the legislation in PSTI with drafting it. Jonathan Angwin, who is the head of the IoT legislation at D, uh, the Department for Science, Innovation and Technology. Um, Michelle Crudolfer, who from the Secured by Design, um, Secured Connected Device Accreditation. And Jennifer Williams, who is the technical director at NOVA. Sorry, not technical director. She's the director of IT and operations at Sakama. She is also one of our IoT assessors. And I think the five people on the panel will be able to give a real insight and overview of IoT legislation and how manufacturers and businesses can be compliant by the time this, this um, enforcement date of April next year. Because the, the biggest part of PSTI is it's not just the onus is not just on the manufacturer. It's on the manufacturer, the distributor, and the importer of those devices. Because if you're selling that device, then the opening is on you as well to protect the, the consumer. So that webinar with the 3rd of October. And for a link, please head over to the IASME IoT page on LinkedIn, the IASME page on LinkedIn. Um, I'm sure if you spoke to IoT Insider, Christian, feel free to give my email address to anybody. Um, who, who wants to speak to me about it and um, more than happy to send a link out to ensure that people actually are aware of the, the changes in this legislation. Well, thanks a lot, Jason. We'll surely be attending it as well, so we really look forward to it. IoT Unplugged. Tune in to the Internet of Things.